0: You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 11. Uh, we've been studying the Gospel of Matthew, and we just exited, got out of Jesus' Sermon on mission. From Matthew chapter 10. So you know the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that term, or maybe you're familiar with it. It's that's Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and a lot of scholars call it chapter 10 his sermon on mission, as he's preparing his disciples to go out into the harvest. And he sends them out and tells them, "Don't be afraid. Uh, you're going to be empowered by the Spirit. What to say? The Father. He knows when birds fall to the ground. He's going to be with you. And he's. It's kind of a a hoorah. Let's take the hill. Let's go out there and get on mission." For Jesus, and it ends with that. And then now, chapter 11 is a nosedive. It's the brakes squeal. What's happening? What is going on? We're reintroduced to John the Baptist the fiery prophet you may remember who was announcing Jesus as the Lamb of God, who he's yelling at people on the banks of the Jordan River, turn to Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And now we meet John again, except this time John is not sandals on the banks of the Jordan, inviting people to repent. John is now chained in a cell and he's having a crisis of faith. He's having doubts is jesus really the one or is there someone else and maybe maybe you're struggling with doubt today too or maybe you know somebody who is are the scriptures true is jesus really alive is he really the messiah is this is christianity just kind of made up thing to keep people in check maybe you're maybe you're doubting all kinds of things so what do we do with doubt This is what we learn from Jesus and his encounter with John's doubts today, beginning in Matthew 11, verse one. And if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of the words of Christ. And Matthew writes for us by the power of the spirit that when Jesus had finished giving instruction to his 12 disciples, the sermon on mission, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now, when John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the poor are told the good news and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. As these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. And truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence. And the violent have been seizing it by force for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come let anyone who has ears listen. To what should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say, oh, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Then he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done and you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Let's pray together. Father, meet us now. Some of us are doubting. We're doubting your goodness. Doubting your love doubting truths of the scriptures, just a general haze of doubt. Would you meet us now? Help us by your spirit. And in your name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. may be seated. How does a titan like John the Baptist get to this point? This, this passage, you read it, it should be startling to you on some level. What does it say about John that he could go from being a prophet that is announcing the, the, the arrival of the Messiah to now someone who's wondering, is this even real? Is Jesus really it? What does it say about John? And what about when we doubt? What does it say about us? What does it say about Jesus? These are deep matters that if you play church, you don't ever really get into them. But if you're honest with yourself and honest with those around you, you do have seasons, moments of speculation, of doubt, curiosity that must be navigated. And this John will not sweep his under the rug. I almost titled this sermon, A Baptist is honest for once. But I like what to do with doubt better. So let's do that. Verse two, John heard in prison what the Christ was doing. And he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? So John's in prison. That's the first thing we learn. This alone is probably surprising to John and has thrown him off his game. Why? Well, what did Jesus come and what did he come to say and do? Many things, but this one phrase in particular, setting captives free. Is that what John is experiencing? No, he has now been taken captive. He's expecting Jesus, the Messiah, the true King of Israel, come and kick Herod out, come and kick Rome out, set captives free, let's take the hill. Except now John has been put in prison. It's not shaping up how he's anticipating You learn later that John's put in prison because he rebukes Herod for some of his immorality that Herod likes to experience. And John says, that's not right. He gets put in jail and he will eventually lose his head. Maybe John has been twiddling his fingers in jail thinking Jesus is gonna get me out of here soon. Jesus is gonna come, kick Rome out, kick Herod out, take his throne. He's the son of David. But look, there's a little hint to this in verse 2. When John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, what is the Christ doing? Taking names? No. He's teaching, preaching, teaching, preaching, healing people in the backwoods of Israel. John's got tally after tally after tally of days in prison, and he starts to wonder is Jesus really the one? So he sends his own disciples, his band of brothers, go and ask. Verse 3. And asked him, are you the one who is to come? This is so significant. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Are you the Messiah? Are you the promised son of Abraham, promised son of David? This is so startling because John's the one who said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A prophet of God. Now he's sitting in jail, cuffed to a stone wall with urine and feces in the room with him. And this leads him to think, maybe Jesus really isn't the one I thought he was. Maybe my spidey sense was off there on the banks of the Jordan River. I mean, let's just piece it together so far what John has seen and experienced with Jesus. When they first meet, what does Jesus want from John? John's out there baptizing sinners and the river. And Jesus says, me next. And does John say, oh, that's a great idea. John says, no, you don't need this. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, let's do this. This will fulfill our righteousness. Okay, John does it. So already their first encounter, what John is expecting and what Jesus brings, they don't line up. Well, then after that, Jesus recruits his followers. What do we see? Does he recruit the top ranks of the rabbinical school? No, he picks fishermen. Scholars? No, manual laborers. Well, Jesus probably recruited some military studs and strategists to help take over Jerusalem and get his kingdom back, right? No, he picks a social leper outcast and Matthew the tax collector. You add all of this data up and it is going to throw John for a loop. It's not what he expected. Okay, well, maybe the crowds are loving Jesus. Maybe they just so are just amazed at him. Sometimes they are, but other times Jesus casts out demons and the whole town says, get out of here. We don't want you in our city. And instead of Jesus setting up shop in Jerusalem, he hangs out in Galilee. He hangs out in Pinehurst. He doesn't go down to a major metropolitan city. He goes out to Magnolia. He goes out to the sticks. He goes to the backwater parts of Israel and teaches and heals and teaches and heals and teaches and heals. And this leads John to say, is Jesus it? Or is there someone else? And beloved, this is what you do with your doubts. You don't hide them. Or if you need to help someone that's doubting, here's what you do. You take your doubts to Jesus. This is exactly what John does. John sends his disciples. He would have gone, but he was cuffed to a wall. So he sends his doubts along with his disciples. And it's, so what we learn already is you're not crazy or it's a sign of alarm if you doubt. If you're doubting. Prophets in the Old Testament doubted. Elijah hung his head wondering if God was really on his side. Peter doubted over and over and over. Thomas, did the disciple Thomas ever doubt? What's his nickname? Doubting, Thomas, he doubts one time. Peter's like every other page. How often does Jesus say, where is your faith? Why are you doubting? Doubting is a normal occasion for being a human just happens. It's just part of the human experience. But one reason why we don't vocalize it, we don't talk about it, is because we often associate a moment of doubt means departure. A lot of doubts can lead to a departure of the faith. But a moment of doubt doesn't always signal a full-on denial. Remember the prodigal son. Sometimes they do come back. Instead of making jokes about Joshua Harris, we should pray that he would come back. Far too often we sit with our doubts, our worries, our confusion, and we mull it over, we kick the can down the street, we stuff them down. But listen, you can't serenity now your doubts. If you know Seinfeld, you know what I'm talking about. And at Seinfeld, George's dad, Frank Costanza and Kramer, both try a new anger management technique. Serenity now, serenity now. It's anytime they feel their rage piling up, they just say serenity now as though that's gonna make it all go away. And Frank, George's dad, he's yelling it all the time to control his anger. And George says, are you supposed to yell it? Well, the man on the tape wasn't specific. They keep serenity nowing their stuff and eventually they both explode in rage. Because you can't just stuff things down. If you try and just say serenity now to your doubts, you won't get it. It will bubble over and be a mess. So today, take your doubts to Jesus, just like John the Baptist does. Whatever they are, he can handle it. He'll have answers for you, I promise. Now, you may not like the answers he gives, but he will have answers for you. And listen, beloved, I really want you to hear hear this. John the Baptist is doubting because his expectations of what the Messiah would do weren't being met. And that caused him to doubt. And maybe that's your problem too. You have expectations that you think God should be doing that God hasn't promised you. And so now you doubt him. God isn't held hostage to your expectations of him. Some of us are doubting God's love and the truth of the scriptures and the goodness of God because things aren't going how we want. We didn't get that job. We didn't get that promotion. That business deal fell through. The kids are in a tough season. Listen, God didn't promise you that job, that financial bracket, that relationship, or whatever else is the common denominator in your doubts, don't throw Jesus under the bus of your expectations. You can expect God to keep his promises, not your expectations of him. You can expect God to keep his word, not what you think God should be doing. And that's what Jesus does here for John. He points John back to the word. When when John asks through his disciples in verse three, are you the one? Jesus doesn't come out and say, yep, just tell him yes, let's get this going. Rather, he sends John on a discipleship journey through the words and works of Jesus. And so we bring our doubts and we tell them, doubts meet the word and works of Jesus. That's exactly what happens here. Bring your speculations to the words of Christ, to the words and works of Jesus. Look at verse 4. So Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. Bring some senses to your faith. What do you see? What do you hear? The words of Jesus, what do you hear? The works of Jesus, what you see. And then us, on this side of Matthew 28, we can now add the Lord's Supper. What do you We can add even more senses. What do you taste? You taste the body, what, the blood of Christ. What do you smell? Chlorine, baptismal waters. What do you feel? Forgiveness, new life, death, resurrection. So he tells John, John, what do you hear and see? In verse five, look. Here's what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. All of these are meant to be like hyperlinks that you you click it and it expands into something else. And so John would be hearing, oh, this is what the Messiah is coming to do. The blind receiving sight, the lame walking. Isaiah says the lame will walk like, leap like a deer. Those with leprosy will cleanse. The deaf will hear. The dead are raised. The poor are told good news. Hyperlink, hyperlink, hyperlink. Back to what the prophet said. This is what the Messiah would really do, John. so Jesus is telling him, look, you know the word. I'm doing all of these. I'm everything the prophets promised. And this is serving a lot of purposes here, what Jesus is doing in verses five and six. Jesus's words are helping John process, what have I seen and heard? It's also helping John's disciples and the crowd. Okay, yeah, what have we seen and heard so far from Christ? And it's helping every person in this room and every person that will ever come across the gospel of Matthew. What have you seen and heard about Jesus up until this point? What have you seen and heard? His miraculous birth. Angels announcing it. Genealogies tying him back to Abraham, tying him back to being the rightful heir of King David's throne. Jesus' name, him not being named Little Joey Jr., but him being named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. His name means God saves. And we see him healing lepers, healing the paralyzed, casting out demons, raising the dead, granting forgiveness. And on this side of Matthew 28, we now, as as Christians, we can go, what have I heard and seen also? Well, we've heard about a Roman cross on where the Prince of Glory, we heard him yell out, my God, my God. We've seen him buried in a borrowed tomb. We've heard angels say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. We see the church launched in the book of Acts. We hear of miracles and conversions and movements. And now we have 2000 years of hearing and seeing to collide with our doubts. No, Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. So we go back to verse three. Should we expect someone else? No. There is no one else. There is, there is no one else that will come after Jesus that will surpass him, that's better than him. And there will no, one, no one will come after Jesus that will make us a better offer that we just can't refuse. He is the one. Like in the Lego movie. Lego movie one, not the second part, Lego movie one. The whole movie, what are they doing? They're looking for the special. The one that will have the peace of resistance, to defeat Lord Business and bring harmony again. Is there will there be a one? Jesus is the special. If Lego movie doesn't do it for you, how about the Matrix? The one. They didn't get really creative with, with the hero's name. Neo. Just moved a couple letters around. He's the one. If that doesn't do it for you, how about Iron Man? The, the true and better Iron Man who must snap his fingers using death's own weapon against itself by rising from the dead. If that doesn't do it for you, let's go another nerd spectrum. Frodo, who alone can bear the weight of sin and the ring and chunking it into the fires of Mount Doom. Someone in the first service said, I need a romantic comedy like analogy here. So I can't help you. I just don't know. There's, there's no one else, beloved. This is it. So here's what you and I must do you must shed your expectations of what you think God should be doing for you and hear and see what he has already done for you and what he's promised for you. If you struggle, r- r- hear me, if you struggle with assurance of salvation, what you know is a common experience. For years in high school, I, I, I think I professed Christ at an early age in elementary school, struggled with sins and doubt. We struggle with assurance at times because we realize I keep sinning. I don't wanna do these things. The things that I don't wanna do, I do them, Romans 7. And the things I don't wanna do, I end up doing Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I don't really know Jesus. These are the things that plague us. And I think I know why. If you struggle with assurance of salvation, don't inspect the fruit of your life. Sometimes you hear that counsel, uh, we'll know them by the fruit. Jesus is talking about false teachers, not how Christians should uh, evaluate am I really saved? if you try to inspect the fruit in your own life, here's what you will find. You'll find some good fruit. Oh, look at that. I read my Bible. I, I, I attended church. I, I served my spouse. I prayed with my kids. I, I seem to love God. This is good fruit. But you know what you'll also find? Some bad fruit. I was envious. I was bitter. I lied. I skipped church. Uh, on and on and on. You'll find all these. Other. And so you see these things and be like, oh my goodness, this is not right. That's why you are not the best barometer For your assurance of salvation, you know who is Christ and what you believe about him. John Calvin is right when he says, when we need to seek assurance of salvation, we must turn to our own good works and what we've done for Jesus. No, we must turn to that redemption by which God's favor has been won. Heaven opened and righteousness secured for us. Don't inspect your life for comfort. Of salvation. Turn to Jesus. What do I believe about Jesus? Maybe you need to believe in Jesus for the first time today, that he really is who the Bible says he is, that he is the one who saves people from their sins and the hell to come. Just believe. If you're doubting or, or, or you know someone who is, don't dishonor them. This is a common thing, why we don't open up about doubts because we're fearful of being thought little of and being dishonored and, oh man, they're gonna think I'm a weak Christian or I don't really believe. But John felt safe enough to, I can bring these to Jesus. And so we have to be a church community where people can open up enough to go, hey, I'm, I'm having some doubts right now. Can you help me with this? See, John throws it out there for help. Not just to argue. Some people do that just to argue. But if someone's really looking for help, don't, don't dishonor them. Because here's why. Doubts don't have to define you and your doubts, don't they don't necessarily lead to you being dishonored. After, after the crowd hears these things from John and Jesus speaks, it would have been so easy for the crowd to slam John, but Jesus cuts it off at the pass. Look at verse seven. As men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. We're talking about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? Someone unstable? No. So Jesus, don't don't you think John's unstable? Verse eight, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. Did you go see someone detached from reality? No. Did you go see a softy? No. What did you go out to see? Verse nine, a prophet? Yes, Jesus says. He's not a weakling? This moment of struggle didn't define him. He's gonna come out of it. Jesus lifts John up and honors him. Look, he says, he really is my forerunner. I tell you, he's more than a prophet. Verse 10, this is the one about whom it's written. See, I am sending, hyperlink to the prophet Malachi. See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way before you. Jesus says, John, don't dishonor him. Isaiah and Malachi both talked about the one to come, though it announced my arrival. And it's John, it's him. As Isaiah 40 says, there will be a voice of one crying out in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make a straight highway for our God and the desert. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. Jesus says, John did that. He announced to the world, to Jerusalem, to all of Israel, and to you and to me, Here is your God. Here is Jesus Christ. John is no failure. Don't don't let the doubts define John. Jesus says, I define John. And your doubts don't define you. Jesus defines you. In verse 11, look what Jesus says. See, He so honors John here. Verse 11, truly I tell you, among those born of women, i.e. everyone except me, no one, greater than John the Baptist has appeared. Among those born women, just a way of Jesus saying, everyone that's been born up until John, no one greater has appeared. John is older than, than Jesus. His ministry, his legacy, his life, his mission, Jesus totally honors John and refuses to let anyone dishonor him. But then look at this. Jesus turns and speaks to the crowd." and speaks to us right now. But, verse 11, as great as John is, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus turns to you and me, and he dignifies us. He lifts us up. He honors us. Because here's what we get so wrong in, in the church We look at Bible characters like John the Baptist, like Elijah, like Esther, like Ruth, like Moses, and we think, man, what great people. I mean, they were on fire for God. Of course, I would do more and serve more if I could have been like them, if I could have seen what they've seen. They're up here. I'm down here. Jesus says, no, no, no. Flip it. You are up here. Even the least in the kingdom of heaven, is greater than John. You rank, every Christian in this room, you rank higher than John the Baptist. And you gotta, this is wild. How is this true? Well, John is the last Old Testament prophet. We could say, let's make an analogy. John is the last flip phone to hit the market. Flip phones are great, but they're limited. They can only do so much stuff. And now in this new age in the kingdom, even the least iPhone is greater than the best flip phone. Do you see? There's a, When Steve Jobs held up that very first iPhone and people were skeptical, go, no way that's going to work. Who would ever want to touch a screen? People like buttons. Turns out we don't. A new era was introduced. Flip phones are nearly obsolete. iPhones can do even more stuff than computers could do 30, 40, 50 years ago. It's in our pockets. And so when Jesus says, look, now in the kingdom, this new era, even the least impressive iPhone, sorry, Android people, just different, different world, you know? Even the least impressive iPhone can still do more than the last flip phone and you are all iPhones. Oh, we all have different apps. We all have different capabilities. Some of us are older, some of us are younger, but we can all do more than that flip phone. Here's what Jesus is saying. John could only point forward to what was going to occur. You and I now point backward. John pointed to something that was going to happen. We now tell people about something that did happen. We now live after the resurrection, after the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And now we are filled with the Spirit and we can point people to what Jesus already did. John could only point forward to what Jesus was going to do. And now you and I, we are now united to Christ forever. John is now, yes, he's in the heavenly places and he's with him, but us now, the ministry you and I have now surpasses that of John the Baptist. Even if you are a faithful, humble, hardly ever recognized nursery worker for 20 years, Jesus says that ministry is greater than John the Baptist's. We want the big flashy stuff and we we want more impressive stuff. Jesus says even the least, even the least is more impressive. John had a ministry and so do you. Point people to what's finished. Tell them to look and see. Tell them to accept it there in Christ. That's verse 14. And Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Let anyone who has ears listen and hear. So the Jews believe that Elijah, if you're familiar with the prophet Elijah, he never died. He was whisked up in a fiery ferret, a fiery chariot, chariot, second service. Y'all, second week, give me some grace. He, he goes back up into heaven. He never dies. And so they believed Elijah's gonna return. They believed he's gonna return and announce the Messiah. And they believed that so much that when they had their annual Passover meal, they had an empty chair just for Elijah, every family. Every faithful Jewish family had an empty chair, place setting, Anticipating by faith, Elijah is going to come. We're ready to receive him. He's going to tell us the Messiah is here. And Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it, John the Baptist, he is the Elijah. He has announced it, accept it. And if they accept it, what else are they accepting? I really am the Messiah. If you accept John's Elijah, Jesus ninja style sneaks in and says, then you also have to accept me. If you accept that, you accept me, that I really am the one. It always comes back to Jesus. You, everyone in this room, you must decide what you believe about Jesus. You may have all kinds of doubts about what the Bible says about this, what the Bible says about that, what the Bible, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, on and on and on. That's important. But we don't begin with those kinds of doubts. We begin with Christ if you believe that Christ is the son of God, crucified for your sins and risen from the dead and invites you to believe in him now, if you turn from your sins and put your faith, hope and trust in him, all your other doubts, Jesus will work those out in time. That's all discipleship. And you can walk with Christ and he will work those out with you over time and in community and with his word. But right now he says, accept me. There's no one else to come after me. And if you reject him, There is judgment, there is hell, there is wrath, there is doom, there is a doom of unbelief. If doubts never give way to faith, if skepticism and cynicism and and unbelief always remains, Jesus says, "I'm, I'm gonna tell you, doom is coming. There are some people that will never be satisfied. The only way that some people will be happy is if they are the God of their life and Jesus said, that's just not gonna happen. You will never be the God of your life. Verse 16 and 17, Jesus paints a picture that we all know really well. To what should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other kids. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. What is this? If you have more than one child in your house, you know exactly what this is. Well, I turned on that game. You didn't want to play it. What game do you want to play? I want to play that one. Okay, they put it in. Now, you don't want to play this one either? No. That kid, he doesn't really, that kid can't be made happy. That kid just wants to be in control. So Jesus is saying, I, we, it's like a group of kids. We played the happy song that everybody likes. You don't like it. Okay, well, how about this song? You said you like that song. Well, we'll play the sad song. You like that one? I don't want that one either. They can't be made happy because they want to be in control. And look at Verse 17. At 18, Jesus no longer uses the story. He gets right to the issue. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, he's got a demon. And look at 19, Jesus says, so I, the son of man, I came eating and drinking. is what you guys are upset about. I, I'm doing the stuff you were mad about. I eat and drink. And they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Some people will never be happy unless they are their own God. Some people want church to be like this and then they want it like this and then they want it like this. Some people want Christians to act like this and then like this. No, I want Jesus to be like this. I want Jesus to be like this, like that one scene in Talladega Nights. I I like my Jesus with the angel wings shirt and a tuxedo shirt and rocking out to Leonard Skinner. I I want a Jesus like this. I like my my eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus. Jesus saying, look, I am who I am. So what do you believe about Jesus? Because he announces these woes on all the cities and all the citizens that reject him. City after city that did not repent. You can see that in verse 20. He proceeded to denounce all the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Repentance is what Jesus is looking for in all of us. Repentance and receiving him as a These places heard the words of Christ. They saw his mighty deeds and they did not respond accordingly. How about you? I mean, today you've heard and seen of Christ. Have you repented and turned from your sin or are you trying to run your own life? Have you given up running your life and turned to Jesus for salvation? Have, Have you responded accordingly to him? Bring it all to Jesus. Because as he tells us next week, come to me. If you are tired and worn out by your doubts, come to me. Don't come to Christianity. Christianity will crush you. Don't come to church. Churches do crush people at times. Come to me. Sometimes seems to hear churches in our area talking about, we got to get people churched. That's the last thing anyone needs. Most of us need to be saved from our version of Christianity. And we need to be saved to Christ. That's why he says, come to me and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your soul, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart. Go to him today. If you're doubting, go to him. If you feel crushed, go to him. If you're worn out from faking it, go to him. And you will find rest, just like John the Baptist has. And just like every Christian for 2,000 years and beyond will have in Christ. Let's go to him now. King Jesus, help us. We have doubts. If we're honest with ourselves and with others, we we have doubts. Some some we're able to quickly process and, and remind ourselves of your goodness. Others seem to really plague us. We have friends that have doubts. Maybe there's just a haze of of doubt around us because of our expectations of you. So would your word overcome our expectations? Your promises overwhelm our expectations of you. And church, whatever your doubts are right now, offer them up. Bring them to Jesus now. Talk to your great God and Savior. Go to him and find rest for your soul. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.